We talked about this being like a piece of really chewy beef jerky. You can chew on this passage the rest of your life and still not digest it entirely. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning in to the eighth episode of Working with the Word. Today, we continue our application of the inductive study method in Titus 2, considering the preaching of sound teaching. We are halfway through with this series of putting observation, interpretation, and application into practice. It has been helpful for Emerson and I, and we pray that you have continued to grow in your own skills and confidence with your personal study of God's Word as well. So before we jump into Titus 2, it's always a good Bible study practice to review the previous section to keep things in context. So let's take a minute to review the three key points that we talked about in Titus 1. First of all, we noticed in verse 5 that Paul has a purpose in writing. He wants to tell Titus, set right the things that were left undone. And the number one thing that Titus is to do is to appoint elders in every church. So in verses 6 through 9, he tells Titus, I want you to choose these men who have this character profile. And the number one quality of these men is to be blameless. They're to be blameless in their family, their personal conduct, and in their teaching of God's Word. And then Paul rounds out the chapter by talking about false teachers. There are many rebellious people teaching false things, and they need rebuking and silencing. So that leads us right into chapter 2. So with a reminder of where we've been, let's also take a short look at the outline for our material today. There are two main sections to consider here in the second chapter of Titus that we're going to cover. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 10, we're considering what sound teaching looks like in the lives of different people. And then our second section in Titus 2, 11 through 14, is considering the source of sound teaching. So Emerson, why don't you go ahead and read Titus 2 for us as we'll get into our material for today. Okay. Titus 2 from the Christian Standard Bible. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for Himself 
a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. It's always great to have that reminder of the text and what's said in there, so we thank you, Emerson, for reading that. Let's go ahead and get into breaking down some of these sections and and drawing out some points that we might consider in our studies. Maybe you'll find some other things in your study of Titus 2 as well. This first section, verses 1 through 10, begins with a very small three-letter word, but a very important three-letter word. Emerson's going to talk more about a very important small three-letter word in his section in just a little bit. But here in verse 1 of this chapter, the chapter begins with the word, but. Again, this contrasts everything that Paul has just told Titus about with the false teachers from the previous chapter. He is telling Titus here, but you are going to be different. Always in our Bible studies, look for contrasts like these, whether it's going to be in our observation or even maybe somewhat in the interpretation phase. Look for these that will help us to show contrast between what we're not to be and what we are to be, some differences in how people behave and how we should behave or what is right and what is wrong. Those will always be helpful things to to guide our study. So again, this is to show the contrast between the false teachers just talked about in chapter 1 and what Titus is to be proclaiming and living. Particularly, verse 1 is important because whatever Titus instructs the churches that he visits on the island of Crete needs to be based upon truth, that sound or healthy teaching. So it must be for everyone who's going to be teaching God's Word even today. Whether you are a Bible class teacher or a small group leader or a preacher, you always have to make sure that your teaching is founded upon the truth of God's Word. Yeah, we use the word sound. Paul uses that word. That's not a word that we typically use outside of a Bible context. So it might be helpful just to remind ourselves the word sound just means healthy, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about healthy teaching, like like having a sound foundation. So Titus needs to be committed to healthy teaching. Yeah, exactly, as opposed to those false teachers. Now we see how he's going to help people with that. As Paul tells Titus how sound teaching can be carried out as sound living in six different instances. So as we look over these next couple of verses, we see these different, we might call them categories, maybe there's a different word or a better word that you would use for these groups of people, but you have older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Paul says some things to Titus particularly, maybe that's something to teachers and preachers, Is there maybe one thing we can draw out from these groups at this time? We'll save maybe a little bit more of the digging deeper for our own personal study, but for the purposes of our program today, we're just looking at a little bit how the healthy, sound, true teaching of God's Word should be carried out in the living of God's people. So older men, one of the things we could summarize that with being respectable. He talks about being worthy of respect or worthy of honor. He talks about how his character is one that he's going to be enduring. He's going to be one who's devoted to faith and to love. And so as that older man is like that, he is a good example then to other people. And while he's not specifically called out as a teacher or promoted as a teacher as an older woman is going to be described in just a moment, that man is worthy of respect and that respect those people would give honor and look to maybe be like that older man who has served the Lord, who is faithful to the Lord and his relationship with him. Then we have the older women who are talked about as being teachers, who are going to be teaching the younger women to learn some things about their home life. So the idea here is that these older women who have lived lives of 
being faithful to their husbands and being self-controlled themselves and abstaining from just living into the pleasures of this life can help those younger women in that regard. So the older women are to be regarded as teachers and have responsibility to teach these younger women. Now, when we talk about these younger women, it's interesting how Paul just kind of connects them almost within talking about the older women. He never specifically says, younger women be this. It's more of older women are going to help younger women be this. And one way to, to summarize the younger women would be talking about them being home-centered. Yeah, when we're talking about home-centered, Paul is highlighting the relationships in the home, right? He's mm-hmm. highlighting the marriage relationship and the children relationship, parent relationship. And so it's not just about, you know, making sure your home is neat and clean, the physical structure. It's about the relationships, because that's really what builds a home, is the the people that are there. Yeah, there's a a song that we sometimes sing, God give us Christian homes, and that's not a house that has a steeple on it. It's about fathers and talks about mothers and children and about all those relationships, all of those people are centered around the Bible and, and their relationship to the Lord. And I think that's exactly right. And, and seeing how that's what's important is the relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul goes on to talk about younger men, and here he just simply says, be self-controlled. There may be a very specific thing with that as far as being self-controlled, as far as sexual purity, that may be self-controlled as far as anger, but something that probably all young men can identify or at least can look into. We think about those wild days of boys will be boys mentality, but for God's people and for people who are young men particularly, there's an idea that they need to control that. And that's even a part of the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, that idea of controlling those things as we are servants of God. He talks to Titus and about his teaching, how his teaching is to be backed up with his integrity. We've been using the phrases of sound teaching and sound living, so the way that he is going to go about, he's not needing to be hypocritical. He doesn't want to be like the false teachers that were talked about in chapter 1, but he needs to make sure that he is being someone who is truly living up to what he is preaching and truly going to be walking the walk and not just talking the talk. And then finally, there's the relationship of servants. Servants are to be submissive and obedient, rather than constantly plotting against their masters and and constantly trying to deframe them or take advantage of them in some way. This relationship is to be something that is based upon submission and obedience to these people for a particular reason, to give a good example. One of the things that stands out to me as we look at just this list as a whole is that we all fall in here somewhere. And the older and younger, obviously that's relative. For me, older would be someone much older than me, but there's also some who are much younger than me. And so it's all relative, but we all fall in here somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the big things we need to take from this section is I've got a responsibility to live in a godly way. And let's see how Paul talks about that responsibility here in a couple of these verses. Some very, very important verses. I think I've mentioned before. If I haven't, I'll talk about something I learned from my junior year physics class. The abbreviation VVI is a phrase you can use or an abbreviation you can use to help say this is something that's very, very important. Verse 5, verse 8, and verse 10 are very, very important in this section because Paul highlights how we live influences the way people perceive the material we are taught from. So based on the way that we are going to live is going to see how people view the scriptures and the reliability, the accuracy, 
the integrity of all of those things. In verse 5, when Paul talks to older women and younger women, at the conclusion of that verse, he says, so that God's word will not be slandered, are reasons for the older women and the younger women are to behave this way. In verse 8, as he talks to Titus, your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. And in verse 10, when he's talking about those servants and their need to be submissive and obedient to their masters, he says, so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. There's this idea that is brought up here about we are to teach and learn with what is consistent with sound teaching, and then we must live consistently with what we are taught. And this upholds the integrity of the source with which we are taught. I think about the example of another song that we sing, The World's Bible. In that song, in the second verse, if I can jump to the middle of the song for a second, he says, we are the only Bible the careless world will read. It might just be that people may not take time to open up a physical or even a digital Bible in this age, but people will see our character and the way we behave. They see older men who are Christians and are full of anger and resentment and very short-tempered and rude, and they see that and think, well, that's what a Christian looks like. They see younger women who are neglecting their needs of the home, neglecting their relationships with other people. They see preachers and teachers who claim to follow God or to speak the truth about God and live for God, but then are embezzling or very greedy or are stuck in sexual misconduct. We see then that the people of the world see that, and the final part of that particular verse of that song, what if the type is crooked and what if the print is blurred? It's a very cutting song to think about, a very sobering song to think, okay, we are this example, but what if, as we're trying to provide the example of Christ, we're giving a very distorted image? And to distort that image is not just a, we missed a little bit of the color here, it's something that completely changes who God is. In verse 1 of the song, there's these illustrations of Christ uses our hands, our feet, our tongues, how we're his ability to help other people. We're, if we're going to reach other people, one way that's going to be through the example and the behavior that we live. But verse 3 is another one of those very serious and sobering verses, a lot of these what-ifs. What if our hands are busy doing things that Christ wouldn't do? What if our feet are going places that Christ wouldn't be? What if our tongues are saying things that Christ wouldn't say? All of that concludes with this verse. How can we hope to help him and welcome his return? Again, with these 10 verses here, there's probably a lot more deeper you could go into looking at words and maybe expounding upon some of these relationships. But the key point in here is, number one, to be proclaiming what is true compared to the false teachers. But then number two, make sure you are living what is true that God and his word are upheld. And, and that's really humbling when you think about it, that my actions and my conduct can either reflect good or bad upon the teaching of God. Absolutely. That is a really weighty you know, responsibility that we have, but it's true. Whether we like it or not, our conduct is going to either bring glory or dishonor to, to God. So in this second half of chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we see the source of sound teaching. So verses 1 through 10 is the conduct that each Christian is to have. Where does that come from? What is the source of that teaching? Verse 11 begins with another tiny three-letter word, for. When you're doing your observation, always look for those transition words. 
you mentioned the word but in verse 1, and that's an important transition word. If you notice these, these are like interstate road signs showing us where to go to follow the author's train of thought and how to get where the author wants us to go. Mm -hmm. And so it's important that we notice this word for, just like in verse 1, there is this contrast between the false teachers and what Titus is to be and teach. Now here's the for. Here's the reason why. Paul is now answering the question, why should I, as a younger man, live in a self-controlled way? So here's the reason, the motivation for godly living. And so he says, for the grace of God has appeared. And I think it's important that the why is connected to the gospel, the grace of God. And so, you know, as you're trying to observe this passage, try to unpack the flow of argument, here's another observation tip. Find the main verb, which in this case is the word appeared, the grace of God appeared, and then look for any ing, I-N-G verbs that follow that because they're going to further explain the, the meaning of the main verb and help interpret it. So as you're outlining this, there are three ing, I-N-G verbs that follow bringing salvation to us, instructing us, and then in verse 13, looking for the future hope. So what has the grace of God done as it has appeared to us? Number one, it brings salvation to us. And we've talked about how this phrase, God our Savior, is common in Titus. Paul wants Titus to understand that this is who God is. God is a saving God, and that this salvation in Jesus is available to all who will hear and obey. Secondly, the grace of God instructs us. It is instructing us in how to live. There's a negative aspect, he says, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts. So God's grace teaches us to deny the kind of life, the behaviors that are seen in the Cretans, the greed, laziness, the impurity that is found there. But it's not just about, here's what not to do. We have to not only deny godlessness, but apply godliness. And so we need to apply a sensible life, a a righteous, godly life. This is the pattern of life that honors God. And the details of this kind of life are explained in the verses we just talked about, 1 through 10, this self-controlled, respectable, uh, loving way. So God's grace instructs us. Then thirdly, God's grace teaches us to look for a future hope in verse 13. The time frame to live godly is now, but we also need to look ahead to the future. Just really quickly on this this word hope, we use the word hope today in a little bit different way than the, the Bible used it, especially in the New Testament. New Testament hope is much more confidence-inspiring than we use it. So we use the word hope to describe a wish. You know, I, I hope to win a million dollars one day. Well, probably that's not going to happen. The Bible uses the word hope as a confident expectation. So Paul wants us to see that God's grace gives us confidence in our hope of eternal life. Going back to the introduction of Titus, Titus 1 verse 2, Paul talks about how he is a preacher in accordance with the hope of eternal life. So all of this really is explaining the why of godly living. Why should I live in a self-controlled way as a younger man? Because I'm saved, because I'm taught and instructed, and I'm hopeful because of God's grace. Can I just say, Emerson, that was an awesome breakdown of just the, the introduction <laughs> and some of the study ideas and tips for, for things with, with that section. I hope that you were paying attention to what Emerson was saying about the different verbs in there, but 
what he brought up again of those transition words, those roadmaps along the way, the importance of those verbs are, are just so helpful in us to see things, but then making the point of the why of all that together. So it's weird to plug your own show within within the recording itself, but <laughs> I would say go back and listen to those three minutes again and make sure you catch all of that. That's Just listening to it right now is really helpful for me, and I hope that it's helpful for you to hope with that confident expectation, not just a wish. So, <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, verse 14 kind of summarizes all of that into one package. Verse 14 is so dense with, with things to talk about. I'll just read it. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So several things that Jesus does in this verse. Jesus gave himself up to die. Jesus redeemed us from our former life of worldliness. Jesus cleansed us of our sins. And Jesus took ownership of us. We are now his own possession. And that's really a summary of the gospel message. But the verse ends with the result. We are eager to do good works. So this is the sound teaching, the sound doctrine that leads to sound living. This is the source. This is the why of living a godly life is because Jesus has done all this for me. And that needs to impact me. And so coming back to Titus, how this applies to Titus's teaching, as Titus is teaching about how to live as a Christian, it needs to be more than just ethics, okay? You need to do this, you need to not do that. He needs to give Christians a reason for their way of life. Why, as a young mother, should I love my children and to be a worker at home? Well, because Jesus died for you. Why, as an older man, should I live worthy of respect? Well, because Jesus died for you. He he created in you eagerness to do good works. And so the the motivation, the foundation for a godly life is so important. It's not just be a good person, but be the kind of person that God has created you to be. And there's a very important thing about the fact that we can easily squander that or or disregard that, unfortunately. Jesus has done all this for us, and then just like you said, it just becomes a, I'm just trying to be a good person because I need to be a good person. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the, the point here. Nor is it, you know, think about the fact that Jesus has done all of this, and then we just kind of float through life. We don't want to beat ourselves up here. We want to try to be encouraging, but we do also want to acknowledge the fact that a phrase like being eager for good works, or some other versions talking about being zealous for good works, you know, every time you see a workbook or hear a lesson on zealousness, there's going to be fire in the background, right? Because isn't that the idea? <laughs> right. it's, you know, you're fired up about something, and they're just maybe unfortunately these times in our lives where we can read something like Titus 2, 11 through 14, uh, particularly verse 14, and say, wow, that's great, and then just muddle through. There is an eagerness, a zealousness for action here in response to the things that Jesus has done. Not a, I'm doing this so that Jesus will do these things for me. Jesus has done these things, and that should fire me up to go and to be a worker for him, to do those good works, and to not just float through this life. Yeah, and, and sometimes we let that fire die. We've all been through those times when we've lost our passion, our zeal for God and for Jesus, 
And how do we get that back? That That's a really, a really common question. And I've thought about that a lot myself. How do I get that back? Well, I go back to the gospel. I go back to what Jesus has done for me. If my fire needs to be relit, I need to read this passage and really internalize it to see what God has done for me because of his great mercy. Amen. And so, you know, as you look at, you know, trying to bring this home, there are so many applications from this particular chapter, especially this last half. In a earlier episode, we talked about three spheres of application, head, heart, and hands. Just really quickly want to bring up applications to all of those. When it comes to my head, my thinking, I need to ask myself, are my works consistent with my words? So the false teachers in chapter one, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. You know, I claim to know God's grace, but my works need to be consistent with that. Secondly, my heart, I need to ask myself, is my motivation for godly living, is it Jesus's grace in my life? It is my motivation to please people, to match their expectations? Is it to be just enough, just good enough to go to heaven? That's not a good enough motivation. It needs to be Jesus's grace in my life. And then finally, my hands, am I eager to serve? Am I zealous, not complaining or begrudging the opportunities to serve or the time that's required? But am I joyful to have the opportunity to do that because Jesus has shown me his grace? So talk about a dense section here, right? There's so much said here. When we were talking about this beforehand, we talked about this being like a piece of really chewy beef jerky. You yeah. can chew on this passage the rest of your life and still not digest it entirely. But there's so much to talk about here. We just can't fit it all in, but it is really weighty here. Absolutely. So always the encouragement is to to keep doing that study on your own, to continue to look into Titus and to maybe go back and visit this section on your own this week and see what are some things from those first 10 verses that where do I fall and, and what am I seeing that I need to be doing based on the teaching of the gospel? And am I internalizing the teaching of the gospel? And spend some time chewing and meditating upon the fact that God's grace is not about me being good enough. It's about him extending that love and grace to me, even though I don't deserve it, and how I respond to that. So as we try to wrap this up with our challenge, here's something we can think about. We want to do more why type of thinking. Find your why for living righteously. Just as we asked you to find your why for Bible study episode one, now we want to all find our why for the good works God has called us to do. Then write down two ways that you will engage in good works and carry them out in the week ahead. Remember, the goal is not just to summarize Titus 2, 11 through 14, but is then to, to be eager to do something with that. So think of some ways and act upon those ways that we can be eager for those good works in our lives for the Lord this week. Thank you for tuning in to Working With The Word. If you have found today's episode helpful and encouraging, please share with your friends and family. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes, you can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working With The Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.